Who are the leaders that change the world? They're professors, coaches, and mentors. They're servant leaders willing to invest and inspire others. They serve with a purpose, preparing others to shape their communities and influence their professions. Our exceptional degree programs will equip you with the skills and Christian character that set you apart and prepare you to lead with significance. Say yes to your purpose. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. Lately, I've been listening to the audio version of the Bible. Now, in all the years I've been reading the Bible, I've, I've never done this. But uh, Kath and I were talking about reading, you know, about, about audio books. My wife, she consumes one audio book after another. And to, and to hear something is I think different than reading something. It does something to you differently, um, psychologically, intellectually, emotionally. So when I found myself listening to an audio version of the Bible, there are many times, depending upon the passage and the reader and the style, I find myself moved to tears, where as I'm reading the Bible, I have a different emotional connection to it. Hmm. And same passage. I, same passage. And I, I don't know necessarily know what that means. That's why when we saw Matthew Mullins in his new book, Enjoying the Bible, Literary Approaches to Loving the Scriptures, it struck a chord with us. Matthew's with us right now to talk about Enjoying the Bible. Matthew, welcome to the show. Hey, John and Kathy. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure. So when you open a book, uh, let's say not the Bible, uh, any book, Knowing what kind of book you're opening makes a difference in how you read it, right? So if I, I, I've shared this multiple times on the air over the years, I have hated poetry my whole life. Um, I never felt like I had enough time for it. I felt like it made me, I felt like it was forcing me to sit down and that was some to me not that i would like i sit down and watch netflix and you for love some to reason, read that's though fi- listen i'm telling you so when i met john matthew he was so appalled by that he was like how could you possibly be a person that doesn't understand and enjoy poetry and that's what you want you want to be shamed so, into reading poetry which, which is what basically. happened so he shamed I mean, me into reading poetry and then he got like all these you know people who i really respect to come on the air and talk about how great poetry is and karen you know swallow prior came on here and read me you know all her poems and james smith came on and read all his poems. andy crouch came and read all his poems. anyway so now i love poetry misha now misha right misha willett now reads all his poetry now i love poetry so i feel i take that as a win so that that's a personal growth for me but when i just got a book of poetry over the weekend I know what I'm I know what I'm getting when I'm opening that book different than if I'm going on Wikipedia. So, um, Matt, talk about how that fits into your concept of this book and how when you hold the Bible, what does that mean to you? When what I found in teaching, especially college students, but even in church and even teaching myself to read different kinds of books was that I had the same experience as you, Kathy, like I pick up a book of poems. And I understand I have to do something different than when I log on to to Wikipedia or I'm reading the Wall Street Journal or whatever. But then I would pick up the Bible and find myself reading everything between the covers of the Bible as if it were all the same thing. 
And I think that's because many Christians, myself included, have an understanding of the Bible that it's written to provide only one very specific kind of instruction, namely like you should do this kind of thing and not do this kind of thing. You should think this kind of thing and don't think that kind of thing. So we take that approach to everything from an epistle to the church in Rome all the way back to Psalm 23. But those are two very different kinds of books, just like, you know, a novel or a work of nonfiction are very different from a book of poems or from a play. And so I was trying to write this book to myself, to my students, to other Christians who actually want to enjoy the Bible, like they enjoy those other kinds of books, as a, a set of approaches to help us think about the Bible differently than just that kind of one-size-fits-all mental instruction. Okay, so that's great. So then, Matt, is that, did you find a key? I mean, uh, in reading about you, I know that your father, you know, he was, he was a deep man, a theologian. Did you sit around and read the Bible out loud with your family? Was that, was that part of your, you know, sort of, you know, worship experience? You know, I don't have a lot of memories of, like, my entire family getting together and reading aloud. But from a very young age, I would come downstairs and see one of my parents uh, at the kitchen table in the morning reading uh, their Bible. And so, and, and I learned that at church from a very young age, I was fortunate to have a great Bible-believing, Bible-loving church growing up. And so that was just in the air I breathed from a very young age. Like, hey, reading the Bible is a part of every Christian's life. Reading aloud for me when it comes to the Bible didn't come along until much later. Okay. What about, um, I feel like we are a little instruction book happy right now. Uh, and maybe that's because John and I have to spend a lot of time on Twitter. And so whatever the, you know, you're laughing because you know it, because it's like the, whatever the argument of the day is, right? So either we're talking about gender roles or we're talking about, you know, how women function in the church or we're talking about polity or ecclesia, whatever it is. It's a big thing. So um, I think it tends to make people who are outside the church think that we're just moralizers. We're just taking an instruction book and trying to like salute and say, yes, we are. But I think even worse than that, it makes us in the church think that, that that's what the Bible's for. Yeah, it, I think it gives us a posture that we have all answers and no questions. But the Bible is filled with paradoxes and complexities and difficulties, some of which are just there because the distance of time and space. But others, I think, are actually designed. They're there by design. You know, where we're told that we're strong when we're weak, you know, or that the rich are poor and the poor are rich. I mean, these are things that are not easily resolvable. And I think they're woven into the Bible to purposefully make us have to stop and wrestle and grapple. And it's what you were describing earlier, Kathy. A lot of us are frustrated reading poems because they do force us to slow down. And I think much of the Bible is written with those kinds of complexities to force us to slow down so that we actually have to spend time communing with God. Mm -hmm. Imagine. Right. Okay. So, so I'm glad you brought this up because you know, you talk about this in enjoying the Bible, that it is contemplative reading, right? And so when you say contemplative, I think probably to a, a lot of Christians, they get a little freaked out and they think, well, this is like a monk or something like that. So talk about how you approach contemplative reading in, in, in that process and what it may do to you. 
Yeah, it doesn't have to necessarily be something extremely slow. You know, when you're reading a narrative like one of the Gospels or even just a couple of chapters in one of the Gospels, it's not that you have to stop and read every word 15 times or something. I mean, a story will pull you along very differently than than a poem, which might make you slow down a little bit. But when I talk about reading contemplatively, all I'm talking about is not sitting down to the book thinking that my goal right now is to get the main idea so that I can close the book and go on to the next thing I have to do. Right. That's that's the most basic sense of what I mean, is not approaching the Bible by saying, okay, how, how soon can I close it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. Which and is that's, how a lot of and that's a sad thing, but just being honest that that's the way we approach it. Like, I'll just be honest with you, last night was election night, and... Uh, of course, I had vowed that I was not going to turn on the TV until 1230 in the morning because I was not going to be one of those people that gets sucked into watching like CNN, Fox, MSNBC, C-SPAN, and then go back and do the same thing. So I um, I was going to sit down and watch something on TV, except I thought, oh, no, no, I haven't read anything. I haven't, you know, I, I haven't read anything in scripture today. So I grabbed, I went to grab my Bible, but I ended up such a long story I spilled my drink I was like then my Bible was wet and then I had to let it dry out so anyway I ended up pulling out my phone listen I pull out my phone and I'm reading Isaiah right so I'm reading as I'm reading it on my phone all I'm thinking of Matt I'm just trying to be honest about who I am is I can't wait for this to be over and it's just another I I, I know it's horrible but it's another box I have to check do you know what I mean right so Anyway, I but you don't I, want I hate it to, to admit that, that, but I don't want it to be that way. But it it was that way. Okay, so then Matt, you've written a book, enjoying the Bible. What what are the principles that we have if we want to know God? Of course, you know. Here we are. We're on Christian radio. You say you're a believer in Jesus. I want to know God. I want to love God. I want to enjoy my time with Him. How do I enjoy the basics, the very basics of what it is to read the Bible? One of the most a basic approach to the basics I can give you is something I learned from a a scholar at Baylor named Alan Jacobs. And he's talking very broadly about just reading in general, and he encourages people to read at whim. So I kind of took that idea and said, well, what if we read the Bible like that? Instead of thinking about it as sitting down to eat my vegetables, you know, right now, uh, what if I would like to watch a show on Netflix or I'd like to read, you know, a story, something that's plot driven. Yeah. And so I sit down and I read, you know, First Samuel, or I pick up one of the Gospels, or I turn to the end of Acts, where the action, they're on the ship, and there's a shipwreck and all this, you know, wild stuff going on. So one of the, the things that you can do is think about all the different kinds of books that are contained in between the covers of this thing we call the Bible, and kind of read the kind of thing that you just feel like reading sometimes. If you want to read a story, read a story. If you want to read some, uh, you know, kind of more historical stuff, you want to learn something about the nation of Israel, well, go read Chronicles or something like that. You want to slow down, you want to listen to music, whatever, go read some Psalms or go read one of the prophets. If you want to be really freaked out for a minute and shocked, go read Revelation and get shocked for a minute. That's good. Yeah. Okay, so good. So as I'm reading, enjoying the Bible, you talk early on, Matt, about uh, you're playing music. I mean, you're playing some Al Green while you're doing, you know, the inspiration for the Bible. Talk about that. I mean, because oftentimes people think that they have to sort of be, you know, very quiet while they're reading the Bible. I like the idea of some Al Green background music. Yeah, the, I, I talk about and I have a little playlist in the preface to the book. So if you pick up the preface, you can listen to what I was listening to uh, while I was uh, writing this book. But the idea there is 
that especially when it comes to the poetry of the Bible, listening to music is a really good analog uh, because there's more to understanding a song than just um, assenting to or intellectually grasping the lyrics. We know Al Green is talking about, you know, love and heartbreak and what it means to stay with someone for a long period of time. But he's not only talking about that. The sound of his voice, the arrangement of the instruments, the rise and fall of the song is trying to embody in musical form that feeling of commitment and faithfulness and love. And all good poems and a lot of good like prose literature is like that. And so if you can learn that, hey, to understand a song is not just to grasp the lyrics intellectually, but to feel it in the way that you look at a friend when we got a new song that you really love. You're like, oh, you'll love this song. You got to hear it. And you play it for them. And they look at you like, yeah, you know, it's that's cool. It's fine. And you're like, no, no, Come no, on, no right? you don't understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you don't understand the song. Meaning, like, if you got it the way I got it, you would feel about it the way I feel about it. And there is a kind of understanding uh, or a dimension to understanding uh, that works with uh, reading the Bible in the exact same way. And sometimes I get Psalm 23 and I really experience what it's like to have God as a shepherd and a guide and a father. And other times when I read it, it just it doesn't click that day for whatever reason and mm-hmm. that's part of our understanding that's good and that's the same way it works with music it's the same way it works with art yeah right like you can go uh, we i've been to the carnegie museum here in pittsburgh i don't know how many times but each time some usually something different ends up kind of pops a, out attracting me yeah right or i don't know if speaking to me sounds like too mystical or whatever i'm not but it's just different because you're different each day yeah all right so what about poetry um so if people are listening and they were like me and they're like poetry is not my thing um what would help them uh what would help me to go into a book of poetry in the bible and get it a little more that's a great question so the first i give like kind of a little a three-step process to this that I think is really helpful. I would start with something that's really familiar. Like I would start with something like Psalm 23, Mm. because that's probably a poem that many people are familiar with. And one of the things I encourage people to do is to sit down with a few verses and just kind of, you can write them out or just try to re-say them in your own words, just to kind of get a general sense of what the poem is about. And then once you've done that, you'll notice that in a poem, usually there is some type of central emotion. And when you read Psalm 23, you begin to see that the central emotion of that poem has something to do with like comfort or assurance. Now, people will get nervous and they'll say, well, if you're talking about my emotions, are you just saying that the Bible means whatever it means to me or whatever I feel? And I would say, no, but you actually need that feeling to understand the verses. If you read Mm -hmm. that Psalm, you see it's not about fury and anger. It's just not. Right. So you might say assurance. I might say comfort, but we're going to be in the ballpark. And once you get that general sense, you can start paying attention to how the psalmist evokes that emotion by using something like, you know, a metaphor, God as shepherd. So just get the general idea. See if you can identify a central emotion and then start Mm. paying attention to the words on the page. How does that emotion get evoked in you? And how is that different than a story or how is that different than one of Paul's letters? You know, it's a little different than a story in that uh, not all poems have plots. Stories tend to have plots. Poems can usually be organized around an emotion, even if there's no plot there. And you can understand the the poem by 
grasping not only the ideas there, like God is comfort, but also by experiencing the emotion of comfort. Whereas in, in a Pauline epistle, sometimes he will use poetic language too. You know, we are a body. Well, of course, we're not a body. That's a, that's a metaphor to help us understand one another. But what we're aiming at there is the idea, unity and diversity. Once you get the idea, you've kind of understood what he's arguing. But with a poem, you don't really get it until you're also feeling that comfort, feeling that assurance, like in the example of Psalm 23. Mm, good. We're talking with Matthew Mullins about enjoying the Bible. Okay, so Matthew, I, I, I kind of want to end where I started. Uh, is it is it cheating to listen to an audio Bible? Is, is there a difference between reading? I mean, do you do this? Absolutely not cheating. John, you should do it as much as possible. Listen to as many different versions as you can. Okay. We've all had the experience of being in church or being in Sunday school or being in Bible study or being in class and hearing a text read aloud that we've heard a thousand times before, maybe even read aloud. And all of a sudden it clicks in a new way, something about where we were in life, something maybe about the emphasis with which the reader read the text. But there is a kind of a hearing knowledge that a lot of poets talk about that helps us understand what we're doing. I would encourage anyone, you know, to listen to any book, audio book. Fabulous. This is good Matt, stuff, this Matthew. This has been super fun. Yeah, you're excellent. This is I really, really love this. Really, a key thing for us to know. Yeah, the new book is called "Enjoying the Bible: Literary Approaches to Loving the Scriptures." You've got to check this out, Matt. Thanks for being with us. Thank you all so much. Very, ex- very excited about this new work yeah. of yours, Matthew Mullins. Enjoying the Bible. That's really cool. And look on the back of the book, Karen Swallow Pryor and James K. Smith. They're the two people that talked me into poems. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. I was finishing undergrad and got credit cards because I couldn't work full-time. So that started the credit card journey for me. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. And then when I got married, we combined our credit card debt, and it became impossible to pay off on our own. At that point, I was like, I don't know where to turn. And then I found Trinity. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relief. I mean, in a matter of three years, we've already paid down $20,000 in credit card debt, which is huge. Call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. That's 1-800-990-6976.